0: I am Citizen 44.
1: Oh my goodness. It feels like almost a year since I've spoken to you about what's happening at Paris Green. Well, of course, we are full into summer now, and it is busy as all get-out. And what is the most important thing to sell in summertime? Sunglasses. We just got this fantastic custom line of sunglasses called Public Sunglasses, made by a very attractive woman in Bend, Oregon. These are all made by hand with polarized lenses, and they're only $79. I sold two pair today. It's a super hot item. We also recently got in some spectacular satin and silk printed scarves. They're incredible. Next month, come in for First Friday. Have a beverage, maybe even a light snack. I can't wait to see you. It feels like it's been forever. Okay, bye-bye. Hey everybody, Mark Ehrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. This is show number 51.
0: Area 51.
1: Got a local favorite, Mr. Bloody Mess. Yep, Bloody Mess. He is a local radio show host. He does a show called The Church of Rock at KSKQ Public Radio right here in Ashland, Oregon. Very nice person, man, dude. And uh, we had a lot of fun chatting about this and that and the other. He's also a singer, songwriter, dad. So he's gonna be on the show today. It's very exciting. Oh man, Ashland is not pretty right now. I know uh, there are several other hot spots in the country, but we are definitely under fire. Not so much fire, but smoke. It's been this way for, I guess, a week, and uh, it's reminiscent of last year when I got sick and evidently uh, we made national news in the past week. Our claim to fame is we have the highest air toxicity in the world, yep, in the entire planet. So that's what we're dealing with. It's uh, kind of put a damper on things. There's not as many people out and about, and those that are out and about have masks on. These are uh, air filtration masks. I took Sam the other day actually to the hardware store. Luckily he's a super big dude and all they had left was one extra large mask. And uh, so we got that for Sam. He came out a couple days ago, We went out and got some food and uh, not a lot of outdoor activity, several games of Uno. Zoe took off for a couple of days, a couple of days ago with her friend Addie and Addie's mom to go look at some colleges in Portland and in the Washington State area. I believe these are private colleges and there was some kind of deal, like a timeshare sit through, where you go to these colleges and they give you a deal on the entrance application fee, something like that. Anyway, it's cool Zoe got out of town for a couple of days and uh, she's certainly not missing anything here in Ashland and it is truly Ashland now. There's ash everywhere and it's very hot. That part doesn't bother me. I love the heat ever since my trip in 2016 to Thailand when it was the hottest recorded temperatures in at least 65 years of recorded temperatures. So that has cured me of my distaste for the heat. I got no problem with heat now, bring it on, love it. Me 100, give me a hundred, give me a hundred plus. It does not bother me anymore. That's about it. It's all good. It's just a little stinky and smoky. Put your seatbelts on. We got Mr. Bloody Mess coming up right now.
2: Looking at others is a reflection of ourselves. The human tribe has forgotten the absolute truth. Let's shake off the scars of physical childhood and return to now. The dreams that turned to screams involved a reluctance to heal, to feel, to seal the divine deal of eternal unattachment and forgiveness. Testing one, two, three, testing one, two. Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A. Was that some kind of racist thing? Homophobic thing, anti-gay thing. They won't hire homosexuals. They actually say we're (laughs) anti-gay. They literally said publicly, (laughs) this company said that? yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's some really weird right-wing Christian group that owns it. Nothing against Christians in general, but the ones that are the weird right-wing, strange ones. Yeah. Are you from L.A.? No, I'm from Peoria, Illinois. I started doing punk rock there in 1983, and uh, I was just a black sheep and a real thorn in the side of the community. There's a town of about 750,000 people, but we did music there, and I decided not to move to L.A. or New York at that time because they needed a weirdo like me there to rebel against things. You know, L.A. and New York had plenty of weirdos. Illinois had zero, so I would do all kinds of stuff, man, and get in the newspapers or whatever. I'm purely hometown boy, and they're not very proud of it. Richard Pryor's from the same town. What year were you born? 1966. My birthday is three one six six six. Three sixes is my birth
1: date. Is but that I your real mom? Or is this kind of Rosemary's Baby thing that happened? Oh, it's my real mom. Yeah.
2: Okay. That you know of. Yeah. Although uh, I do look a lot like Oprah Winfrey. Could be my real mom. <laughs> oh, I don't see color. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was talking about what, and just her looks, not her color. Oh, I see. I was watching Oprah videos before I came, so she came to my mind quick, you know. She's got a nice spread in Maui. Isn't she like a multi-billionaire, literally? I think so. But she goes and hangs out with people like Ramdas sometimes and seems to be a decent human being. It'd be a big responsibility having that energy being like a billionaire or multi-multi-millionaire. It wouldn't be all roses, you know. Trying to stay grounded would be tough. And I think she... Somehow does that with her humanitarian stuff, I think. That's my perception of her. She keeps the power of now next to her bedside. Is your real name Buddy Mess? No, my real name's uh, Don McLeod. I'm Scottish. Don McLeod? Yeah, M-C-C-L-O-U-D. Ah. But I changed my name to Bloody F Mess in the 80s. And then Facebook, about two years ago, sent me a letter saying, we need your real name. One of those deals. Yeah. I said, sure. Yeah, right. My real name has never been anywhere on the internet, like, ever. can Google it. There's nothing. So what happened was, in order to avoid having my Facebook and my radio show promotions taken away, I sent back a letter saying, okay, I was being goofy with my name. My real name's Buddy (laughs) F-Mess. And so I was making a play on words, and they fell for it. So I've been using Buddy F-Mess, and people think it's spiritual. He found God, and he became Buddy instead oh, of Bloody. Oh, I thought it was just a rock and roll thing. But it was Bloody F. Mess for, you know, 30 years. You mean you had me. it legally changed? No. no okay. But, but it's like tattooed on my body, and I, you know, that's the name people call me. Got into radio, then I had another name, Derek Moody. Derek Moody? Yeah, that's a name that a lot of people call me, too, because the radio world, which I've been in for a couple decades, making a living, uh, mostly, know me as that name, and some of them have no idea I'm even in a band, so I have three names. What do your parents call you? Uh, my mom called me Don when she was alive, and she was the only one that did. Even my wife, uh, ex-wife now calls me bloody. She calls you bloody? Mm-hmm. Everyone does, except for the radio world, and it's Derek. You're the first person I haven't lied to about my name ever. Really? Yeah. I've done interviews in the press in, in Illinois in the big mainstream newspapers with, in conjunction with my band's bad boy antics back in the days, and even they got it wrong. They'd be like, his real name is Derek McLeod or Don Moody. They can never figure out the real name. I've never, ever said it to anybody. Did
1: you listen to the MIG Windows show? I like Meg. Did you listen to her show? What show? What do you mean?
2: I did a show with oh, her. Oh, on your show. No, yeah. what number was it? Uh, 43? So it was the one before this last one? No, the one before the okay. one before that No, one. but I will because I'm a fan of your show and Meg and I did not catch that one.
1: Man. Well, Meg has stories about names. You know, her name is a little also something other than what you would think would be a name that somebody would give somebody. Okay. And in her life, there's been a string, like whatever with yours, of people lying to her about their names.
0: Oh, her I see. Her father
1: even changed his surname. Wow. So check out the MIG Windows show, oh, and, well, and you'll find out other interesting, bizarre, name-related stories.
2: And normally you see that people change their birth dates, but not names as much, but I guess in the entertainment world they do, I guess. Change their birth dates? Yeah, like Tiny Tim, for instance. The singer Tiny Tim was yeah. a friend of mine. If you Google Tiny Tim's birthdate, it's all controversial because he gave different dates all the time, so no one really knows exactly when he was born. He was he, your friend? Yeah, he was a friend. He was, I was a huge, huge fan of Tiny Tim. To me, he was like God incarnate in a musical body. I, like, I loved him, yeah. How did you hook up with him? I just became an obsessive fan, like really obsessive. I collected every bit of music I could by him. I literally think he's just a genius. And then my grandmother, God bless her soul, she's dead now, she loved Tiny Tim. So one day, I found out he was living at a hotel in New York City, and I wrote him a letter, pen and paper, an old letter, and he wrote back, Dear Mr. McLeod, it's nice to know some folks still like me, and we started a friendship. Did you ever meet him in person? Oh, yeah, yeah. We'd go shopping and things. What? uh, In Illinois, in Peoria, Did you guys end up like roommates? No. The girl I was living with, the last time I actually saw Tiny Tim, I tried to, like, hook him up with her sexually. Get Tiny Tim laid? Is that what you're saying? I I was in my 20s, and I had a really beautiful girl I was living with, and she was in the adult business. That's what she did for a living. And she was very open-minded and very sexual. And so I was like, hey, Tiny, let's go back to your room. She's yours. Starts doing prayers. Oh, God bless me. Like, he would not do it. He was... So afraid he was going to do it. He was, like, very afraid of, like, falling off the wagon and, and having sex with somebody. Had he never had sex before? Well, yeah, but he he believed, and this is really strange because I have similar beliefs now, and it's very, very fanatical and almost Hindu, but he believed that women were to be put on a pedestal and never touched. They should be worshipped and idolized. He
1: should have lived here, right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Even his wife, when he was married, divorced him because he only had sex with her for, like, a second. Just enough to get the seed in there to have the baby. Never had sex again. And whenever he talked about sex, he would spell out even the word sex. He'd be S E X. How old was he when you guys connected? Seventies. He passed, right? Yeah, yeah, he did. He died on stage singing tiptoe through the tulips. Shut the. F- yeah, at a woman's luncheon in Iowa or somewhere, doing tiptoe, and he had a heart attack on stage. And I don't know if he died right then, but that's when he went out. Man, I want to have a heart attack doing this fucking show, Doing tiptoe man. to the tulips. Are you kidding? <laughs> that's brilliant. What a better way to go than
1: what you do. Well, what that's what love, I'm man. saying. It would be kind of fascinating to fucking dump it right there in the middle of a show. So
2: if you keel over right now, I'd feel cheated because my show would never make it. Why
1: won't it? Why couldn't someone edit this and put it on as the last will and testimony of Mark fucking Aaronsburg? There you go.
2: Amen. We'd make it happen. Why can't this be it? What more does it really have to be anyway? Inside, I'm doing a prayer that he does not keel over. Over right now i actually think he's lying
1: <laughs> this is the question of all time did you ever see tiny tim naked
2: no <laughs> no he wouldn't let us in the hotel room we were just too much for him we'd go shopping and we stayed in the car was he like just a nervous nelly or what? no no he was literally exactly what you saw was completely 100 real with him he was walking around with makeup and rouge on his cheeks and a big bow tie and polka dotted shirt and green shoes and bright orange hair. And he carried that ukulele everywhere he went in a little bag. And he was oblivious. And people would be like, Hey, Tiny Tim, I remember you from Laughing. Hi, Tiny. Yes, I saw you on Johnny Carson. And he would just, Oh, yeah, God bless you. And he was the only real musician I've ever met. He was the only real one that's a like complete troubadour, the traveling minstrel. He, at the time, was the only living musician that had a recording in the Thomas Edison Museum in Chicago, and he had just went in and recorded on a cylinder. What? The old cylinders. Before they had records, they had these round, maybe six inches long, eight inches long. But it was a round cylinder, and it had grooves, and it turned round. You can play it maybe twice. Is that like a player piano thing? It was like, yeah, the original way of playing the Edison before they had records was cylinders. And then there was something else after the cylinder, but they recorded him, and it's in the Thomas Edison Museum, and it's still in there, I think, in Chicago area.
1: That's wild. Pretty weird, huh? So how close did you get to him by the time he passed?
2: Well, I kept in touch with him. We'd call each other on the phone. I interviewed him for my magazine that I was doing at the time. Took him shopping one time. At the Peoria, Illinois, Heart of Illinois Fair, he changed his set list for me. I was actually naming songs from the 20s, and he knew them all because he was a human jukebox. He knew every pop song ever written in the history of music. I go, hey, remember that song, I Wish I Was in Peoria? He's like, 1936, The Sunshine Boys, and he'd just start singing it. he go all the way up to Pink Floyd and AC/DC. like wow. He knew every song ever written completely insane i wonder if robbie DeCosta is his great 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 grandson right <laughs> yeah robbie's just like that too isn't he yeah. oh yeah, he's an he encyclopedia just, he, he really is yeah yeah, yeah okay. he does bust out the 50s the 80s whatever it
1: doesn't yeah. matter no that's why i like playing with him yeah. because it's never the same and it bops all over the
2: time clock when I moved to Rogue Valley about eight years ago, I got invited to a party in Ashland, and there was like a chocolate fountain and pumpkin carving contest, and it was a really awesome and really unique party. And Robbie DaCosta was the entertainment that the person had hired, and just him in the living room playing music. You know, and It was really awesome. He's a phenomenal dude. Somebody yesterday was telling me that anyone that's a genius or that has any talent has pretty much got some kind of autism going on. We've actually labeled people as sick when, in fact, They've just got a
1: different level of sensitivity in being here, and we put a condition on them, imposed some bullshit on them. Kids, we do it all the time, whether it's Ritalin, things like that. All that stuff. We've been poisoning each other and ourselves for decades because of gifts that we have that we don't understand. So we call them problems, and then we medicate them and make ourselves numb.
2: Yeah, and if you look at the history of mental hospitals in the United States, there was so much of that going on back in the quote-unquote old days. People were just thrown in those places for weird reasons. He's uh, different than us. He's crazy, you know?
1: Well, and that's why we homogeneously teach children all the same. We don't separate them out like the book Island by Huxley, where they knew how to determine how children best receive information and how they give information. And to make smaller groups of those people first... And then integrate them once they are in the stream of being able to work together. Yeah. But we don't operate that way.
2: People have to write utopic novels about it. Yeah. Western life is certainly surreal and just almost an illusion within the illusion. Some of the first music I remember hearing in rock and roll was Wake Up Little Susie as a kid. That was one of the first songs I remember hearing. I'm like two or three years old because my mom was a big music fanatic and... I remember being like three, four, five years old and having records. Like I remember the Beatles, Apples records in 68, you know, when I was two or three, I remember having these. I certainly remember being five because my brother was born when I was five. I remember driving by the hospital with my dad and him pointing to the room my mom was staying in and everything when I was, you know, I was five years old. Vividly remember. I remember where I ate. I remember my dad put a tip on the table and I said, dad, you left money on the table. And the whole place started laughing because I didn't know it was a tip, you know, and I was five. So yeah, I remember about three, four, five and music is my, my first memories. And the Everly Brothers and the Beatles are right there. Did your parents play music? My dad, he literally is the kind of guy that says, I don't like music. My mom loved it. Country, pop, rock and roll. Those are her things. So I grew up with Johnny Cash, Elvis, the Beatles, you know, all that stuff. Do you think you did more musically because your dad was so anti-music? No, it's strange. My parents divorced when I was nine or so. And then I remember my dad in my entire life, my music career, didn't have any idea... I was even in a band, did records, had international records out in different countries, was a touring musician. He had no idea. And then one day in about uh, 1998 or 99, he was in town and I said, hey, do you want to see my band? He had no idea. So he came out and saw my band play. I did an Iggy Pop song, I Want to Be Your Dog, and Folsom Prison by Johnny Cash. Out of our set list, my dad goes, there's two songs I like the best was that dog song and that Johnny Cash song. (laughs) You liked Iggy Pop, man. That's Uh, cool, dad. But he's the kind of guy that says, I don't like music. Is he still around? Yeah. And your mom is not? My mom is not. I haven't seen my dad in about a decade, and I'm flying to Omaha, Nebraska to visit him. It's in the middle of August to see him. Cool. Yeah. His wife just passed away, and he's kind of alone and stuff, so I'm going to go out and hang out with him for a couple days.
1: Oh, that sounds like the beginning of a movie.
2: Yeah, it does. Yeah, Either that or a really traumatic situation for me because my dad's really extremely uh, right-wing, Republican, very opinionated, which is great. Everyone's got to be themselves, but we are so different. It's like night and day. You know, this is the meeting of a lifetime that's yeah. about to happen. It's very special to me because now he had this wife that was very much in the middle of us being close since like the 70s. And now I got him to myself if I want to go talk with him and hang out with that energy. And so it'll be good to go there and just let my opinions go. Not have to go there and talk about politics. We don't have to talk about that stuff. Just go there and be with my dad. Hang out, whatever. Whatever he wants to do, you know. Yeah, have brothers and sisters? Uh, I have a brother. He tried to coordinate a situation where I fly back to Illinois and hang out with my brother and him. And... Uh... I just told him I just didn't want to do that. I don't like going back to Illinois whatsoever. I just, the Midwest just doesn't do much for me. And, and that's
1: where your brother is?
2: Yeah. And I, and I feel bad because that's such a stubborn move. Normally I'd be like, sure, I'll do it. So he's going to see my brother in a couple of days. They're going to hang out and then I'm going to go see my dad separately. I just, okay. I think it'll be more relaxing to do it that way.
1: Did you raise him on rock and roll?
2: It's weird. When he was a little kid, I was like 15. I was just druggy rock guy, getting in trouble. And he was like way into Christianity. Like I'd come home on acid. Twisted Sister had a song called You're Gonna Burn in Hell. You're gonna burn in hell. Closing his ears going, ma, 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 ma. Try not to hear it. Years later, he's more hardcore than me. He's got triple Mohawk thing on. He's riding a Harley. His license plate said the word hated with the number one. He became like this complete... Almost too hardcore. How long did it take you to convert? Uh, I don't know, but he became my bass player in my band. He's actually on two of my more famous songs. He was gone after like a year, and then he got married and had kids and got completely normal. Completely dichotomous. The kids love seeing his photos, but he hates it. Because I'm always the guy that pulls out, hey, look at your dad here. (laughs) (laughs) My dad was a weirdo. But now he's like Ward Cleaver. Like, couldn't be more normal. For a few years, we were womanizing together and doing drugs. So (laughs) he's
1: still in Illinois?
2: Yeah. How many kids does he have? My brother's got three kids. Yeah. So he's done. Yeah, he's pretty much, I go to bed at 8 o'clock, I go to work, you know, kind of life. That's that's his trip. He voted for Trump. thing. He's just a normal American in the Midwest doing what they all do, waiting to die. Waiting to die on the couch with the remote control in hand. Work, buy, die. That's what right. I always say about Illinois. Work, buy, die. That's what they do there. You buy things, you work, you die. That's it. That's why when rock bands used to go through the midwest like in the 70s 80s they do so well because the midwest has nothing else strip clubs and churches and work and then when a rock band comes through it's like in the holy grail it's like god almost there so that's why rock bands always like the midwest because that energy there's nothing else there did you play in the midwest yeah yeah and whenever my band goes back we do really well there yeah. who's your band uh my band is called divine dirt What kind of band you got there? Really high energy, intense combination of hard rock, punk rock, blues, and gothic horror music as well. I write songs for soundtracks. Do you write songs for Mig? Actually, Mig contacted me about using one of my songs for one of her upcoming films. My Black Little Heart was actually getting airplay on 19 stations in 1999, and it was getting regular rotation. And Epic Records had called me at the time and said, Hey, we've been scouting your band. We're trying to figure out how we would market you. You're like a cross between Iggy Pop and Marilyn Manson or something. So I quit the band because I just didn't want to be on the road and be a rock star. I, I never wanted that. I, said, I want to rock on weekends and do drugs and party. But I had a daughter, and Mike I didn't want to leave them and go in a tour bus and never be home right. ever again. So I right. quit, quit doing it, man. My one chance came and I quit. <laughs> I didn't want to be a rock star. What man. year was that? 1999. In bands to this day, but there's a difference between being a rocker and doing your thing and being a rock star. Like, who would want that curse? You can worship money all you want, but at the end of the day, when all the humanity's gone and all the love of your lives are gone, you're gonna have all this money and that's it yeah. and a drug habit. 10% of the musicians I know are sober, but the rest are all drug addicts. I didn't want to get on that road where I was in a bus or a van and just never see my family and, and putting needles in my arms, just be able to handle it and crap. I just wanted to do it at a level to where it was just art and not been matter about money or fame. Or you can do needles at least in front of your family. So you can be <laughs> right. home when that's happening. <laughs> I've got into everything, but never the needles, thank God. You were born in what year? Uh nineteen sixty six. What was going on with your parents in nineteen sixty six? At the time my dad was working for Royal Crown Cola which is R C Cola yeah. with soda. And he was driving a truck for them and uh, you know, doing soda deliveries. My mom was raising me. How'd you do in school? Uh, I did okay in school. I'm really good at art, and I'm really good at English, but horrible at math. You know, I'm, I'm one of those guys. That side of my brain doesn't fire at all. I have a fifth-grade math level and a exceedingly over-college level for everything else. I've been tested. Literally, my math level is like fourth grade, fifth grade. You got decent grades in school? Bs and Cs. Were you a popular kid, troublemaker? Uh, I was a class clown, always in trouble. I have a stack of letters to my parents of... I'd bring novelties from joke stores and gag gifts and bring them to school and get in trouble. Skunk perfume, dump it down the heating vent. The whole school had to be evacuated one time. They <laughs> nicknamed me Peppy Le Pew <laughs> because the whole place smelled like skunk. Literally, the whole uh, school.
1: Awesome. That's and that a, was all your idea and you executed it? That was like
2: eighth, seventh or eighth grade, though. Okay. But yeah, I was a pretty much just a prankster, jokester, class clown kind of kid, yeah. Then in high school, it was a real nightmare because I'd shave my eyebrows off. What? I would shave my eyebrows off and I was really into like the whole Manson thing and really into, Not like,
1: Charles Merrill. Yeah,
2: no, Charles Manson. And I was like, Charles Manson. I, I started writing to Squeaky Fromm like she was my pen pal. I was in love with her. She was the hottest chick on earth to me with Squeaky Fromm. Like, I wanted to, like, marry her. So I started writing to her when she was locked up in Florida. She's out now, by the way. I became obsessed with her. Not anymore. This is a long time ago. I'm just giving you juicy, fun, weird stuff. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> but I just I- want to see how, how far you've taken it. I could really blow your mind, man. Seriously, I've been on talk shows for this stuff. Phil Donahue, things like that. But um, in school, they really freaked out on me, man. And I would not go to gym class or participate in any of that stuff. So I'd be in the locker room and they'd be picking on these kids, man. And I'd be like, hey, man, you pick on that kid again, you're going to fight me. And I'd shave my eyebrows off and come to school with my Manson book or my Anton LeVay Satanic books at the time I was into. And people were like, whoa, this kid's freaking weird. He's not tough, but he's crazy. And we're not going near this kid. Years later, I ran a red light in Peoria, Illinois, and I got pulled over by a cop. And the cop took my ID. He goes, what school did you go to? And I go, Richwood's High School. Gives me an ID back. He goes, thank you. I'm going to let you go this time. Thank you for sticking up for me in high school. One of the kids I actually stuck up for, same cop, pulled my brother over and let him go. Some of the fringe benefits of kindness. Right. Isn't that a cool story? It's fantastic. Yeah. Years later, I got robbed. And I I collect autographs. And somebody stole a couple of my autograph collection books. And I found out about it and went down to the pawn shop where they were at. And I called that cop. And he came down and got them back for me. Like, handed them to me. We sit here. We're even now. That guy was in my life three times after that. You know, strange. What's that dude's name? Officer Craig... Craig something. I know his, his name is Craig. I know that for sure.
1: Well, good job, Officer Craig. Yeah,
2: and he became a detective later, so yeah. Cool, man. It was strange to have a friend, kind of a friend that was a cop for me at that time, because I've been a shock rock band for many, many years, and we were just off the charts bad. <laughs> it was great. I, you know, can't regret those kind of things, because it's what made me who I am now.
1: must have had some impact on you going over
2: the top to the other side. My dad had a great sense of humor. His sense of humor is off the charts awesome. I totally inherited that from him, and I look just like him, except he's got really short hair, but we look exactly the same. He's 73. He's got every hair on his head still. He's in completely perfect health, the humor thing, and the health thing. Thank goodness I got those genes. And he's how old? He's 73. Okay, he's still young. He walks like 10 miles a day. This guy is unbelievably proactive. He's so awesomely healthy. It's great. Yeah. How about you? I'm pretty healthy compared to what I used to be. Yeah. Yeah. No, no smoking cigarettes, no drug addictions, no alcoholism. I have my days, you know, where I fall off wagons and do this and that and have fun in life, but nah, I don't have any habits that are habits. I make bad decisions still. I really do. I really do, man. I'm still on a path. I'm in a rock band. My spiritual teacher, Bhagavan Das told me the other day, he said, you have spent most of your life in the underworld. And that's all he said. It became the title of my new album, which is out in October. It's called From the Underworld. Well that's the only reason he gave it to you. Yeah, and it's beautiful because well, he gave me my spiritual name too. I got a new name, and all my new lyrics are inspired by him and my new father. So you're more than path. Bloody and Dawn now and Buddy? My band's just called Divine Dirt. No, but... I know, but what's your new name? <laughs> um, Shankara. Shankara Das. What does that mean? It means a uh, lover of God. Shiva lover, God lover. Okay. Yeah. When did you get that new name? I got that name. I guess maybe four or five years ago from Bhagavan Das, we were doing Skype spiritual counseling at the time. He's one of the more popular spiritual teachers in the country. He's the first guy that went to India, one of the first three people in like 61, 62, 63 that went to India and uh, met Himalayan yogis. Like they had never seen white guys. is this a, the dude you had on your show? Yeah, Bhagavan Das. And he's also the guy that introduced Richard Alpert and Timothy Leary to the same guru, the guru named Richard Alpert Ram Das. And he said, go back to America and write the book. He's like, I'm not an author. Well, he came back and he wrote this book called Be Here Now, which has influenced millions, still in print. And it influenced me. It changed my entire life. And Bhagavan Das was the one that told Ram Das, be here now, because of some <laughs> things going on in the time. Anyway, skipping ahead, Bhagavan Das named me Shankara Das. So in the spiritual community, that is the name I use. So I do have four names. God, I feel like Sybil. Well,
1: <laughs> like a I, I, It all depends. Do they match each personality?
2: It's all the same, really, honestly. It's, it's just, just you, right? It's my weird Western way of trying to compartmentalize everything.
1: Well, it's not just your weird Western way, because obviously other people have influenced you to compartmentalize. Even your new name is a new compartmentalization, right?
2: True. Good point. And the funny thing is, though, there's people like in, say, the punk community in, like, uh, New York or Los Angeles, they want nothing to do with Shankara Das, nothing to do with any of my opinions or belief systems about any religious or spiritual belief. They want bloody mess rock and roll (laughs) dirtbag. That's what they want. They want the sleazy rock guy. Well, that's the guy that you perform as when you do the things when you're that person. But the thing is, though, is, you know, like one of my idols from the 70s is Alice Cooper. And when I finally got to meet Alice and spend like a couple of hours with him alone, we talked about these things because he's a real religious guy, like very much into Jesus Christ, like hardcore. He learned how to separate it and be able to do both. Me, it's hard. It's hard because I was a real hardcore atheist up until about six, seven years ago, like the worst. And one day I found this book in Barnes & Noble called Hindu for Dummies. I walked by it and I go, Hindu? What's Hindu? So I picked it up. I was on the bargain bin for a buck. So I read it and I was so compelling. I go, this is really interesting. Hmm. And it said, if you like this book and it resonates with you, you must find more scriptures that are Hindu related. For instance, the Bhagavad Gita. So I'm like, I must get that book. I must have it. And I'm like, wait a minute. 12 years ago, I flew to Mexico going through my divorce. I was really depressed in a really bad place, man and addicted to drugs. And I, I went to Mexico to get away for a while. And in the airport, a Hindu guy came up to me with the Bindi on his forehead, the whole deal. And he had this book. It was a beautiful book with gold inlaid pages and a built-in bookmark and all this. And he wanted to sell it to me. And I was very offended because I was an atheist. I was an angry, but I gave him $2 for this like obviously $20, $30 book. And he walked away and he looked defeated. And I felt kind of bad for being a jerk. Here's $2, get away from me. And I bought the book. Well, I went to read that book, and it was just the biggest load of gibberish, nonsense, crap. Why would I waste my money on this? I put it in my bookshelf. Twelve years later, I'm in Oregon. Hindu for dummies. Get the Bhagavad Gita. I go digging through my books. The very last book after five shelves, there's my brand new copy of the Bhagavad Gita waiting for me. I read the book, and every word made complete and utter sense. Tai yeah. Ming. Yeah. So it took me a year. I read it contemplatively for a year, very slowly, and it changed my entire life. Literally. So what is your story now? So now people say, what are you? You know, I'm not the kind of guy that says, oh, I'm a Buddhist or I'm a Hindu, because that separates you from other people immediately. One of the main reasons we are in these material bodies is to awaken from the illusion of separation. We're all a conglomerate. We just don't think we are because we identify with the bodies and the roles. I'm a white man, American male, age 52. But really, just beneath the surface is the true reality of nature, and that's the cosmic nature of cosmic consciousness. And we're all connected right there. We're all together as one big divine mother of energy. So now if I say, hey, I'm Hindu, I'm back to separating myself. The thing I've tried to do is stay away from the isms and the isms as much as I can, although it's really hard to avoid them. But the thing is, is I study Native American belief systems and religious practices, Hinduism, Buddhism, mystic Christianity, mystic Judaism, Sufism. There's so many different religious and spiritual practices that I'm into. And it's opened me up to all these new possibilities. And I realized that ignorance was the main reason that I was suffering most of my life. Most of the decisions I made were bad out of ignorance. But every single one of us is a fractal of divine light. We're all a little light on the chandelier. The chandelier and the lights are all the same, although the lights are separate from the chandelier. One could go out at any time, but they're all part of the chandelier. And that's how I look at us. We're just these little fractals of light running around with these monkey brains and bodies doing crazy things. Some of us are doing mean things and bad things. Some of us are doing things that help others. It doesn't make anybody better than the other. It's just we're all on these karmic paths, doing what we got to do. We figure it out when we're supposed to, and we also get the experiences that we deserve at the time. And we also get the teacher we deserve. And that's where Bhagavan Das came into my life. Here's a guy with an ex-drug addiction problem. Been on welfare. He's been on food stamps and driven a cab, but yet he's studied with every major enlightened master On the earth, the original Rinpoches in Tibet had never seen a white man before they saw him. Neem Karoli Baba in India had never even spoken a word of English until they met Bhagavan Das. At the time, he was Kermit Riggs. Then he studied with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. Before the Beatles met him, he lived with him for six months. Uh, He was with Amma. Last week, Amma's a new saint that goes around and hugs the hugging saint. Uh He was with her just a few nights ago in Seattle. It's just amazing because that energy has been transferred to millions of people through books and through teachings and just people being people and loving and opening their hearts. So that's kind of where I'm at now. And my music has been influenced by this. My new band is Divine Dirt. The album is called From the Underworld. Most of the content is high-energy, good consciousness stuff, man. You know, the lyrics aren't just about sex, drugs, rock and roll, although some are. So that's where I'm at now with it.
1: Where are you online? How can somebody find
2: you and (laughs) and your music? I use the name Buddy F Mess. Most people connect with me under... And I had a Shankara Das one. I had got the Divine Dirt one. I've got a bloody F-Mess. But most people hit me up on the Buddy F-Mess one. That's where I do most of my stuff. You got any gigs coming up? I do. August 18th at the Phoenix Clubhouse in Phoenix uh, with us and four other bands, including PX-15, Something on the Wing, the Shaky Harlots, and Spicy When Naked. And uh, there's a camera crew coming from Kenosha, Wisconsin. And they're doing it like a documentary film called One Night of Punk Rock in Southern Oregon. And they're going to film all the bands and interview everybody and put out like a little thing on YouTube or a little DVD maybe or something.
1: Cool. Yeah, That's fun. All right, so the Church of Rock, you've been doing that for over 20 years, right? Yeah, it's
2: Halloween of 1999 was the first show. It's on its eighth incarnation now. Started out in Illinois and it's been on eight channels. I was in Medford for a couple of years on KZZE and then they went under. Now I'm, I've been at KSKQ. I'm thinking maybe three years. Working with the, uh, Holly three. over there? Yes, Holly is a good friend. I love Holly. Yeah, me too. Yeah.
1: But you started in Peoria.
2: Yes. Okay. What pushed you into that? As a kid from young till about 10, I always would fantasize I was a radio DJ. And I'd sit in my room with my black lights on and my strobe lights. And I would be like, "Hey, here's Kiss, here's Elton John, here's Rod Stewart, the Stones. And I would be a DJ. Well, I moved into this house in 99. And uh, the landlord became a friend sort of. And she kept talking about her husband and about the station and this and that. And I'm like, wait, what does your husband do? Well, he's the general manager for Rock 106 Radio, which at the time had been voted number one rock station in the country by Rolling Stone magazine in 1978. So I'm like, really? I was so intrigued. And I'm like, I want to be on the radio. I want to be on the radio badly. And she starts going, really? Well, maybe I can introduce you to my husband. And coincidentally, her husband was a guy named Wayne R. Miller, who was like a legend in Central Illinois radio. Like When I was a kid, he was the kid I listened to on the radio. So I got to meet my idol. I kind of found a guy that did a rock show on there that had bands on there, and I kind of noodled my way into his show by getting my band on there slowly, and then I offered to do his bookings for him, and like seven nights a week, I had bands in his studio, even national acts I was getting for him, and he finally decided to make me his intern. That's when I went to Wayne R. Miller and said, come on, man, I really want to be on the radio, and he's like, well, you you intern for him for a few minutes, and then we'll see what happens. Well, after interning for just a couple of weeks or maybe a month of just booking gigs, he finally said, okay, tonight's the night we're putting you on the air. For one hour, you're on the air. So I got on there at 8 o'clock and I proceeded to push a button and I completely took down the entire radio station we were offline like the offline what do you mean? I, I did the, the you thing. hit the fucking red button i that... hit the one button in the world that you can't do because it'll take us offline out of the, the tower they shut didn't down. do
1: like an apollo 13 with a fucking piece of paper i completely there blew don't... it
2: man oh. and i couldn't believe it they forgave me and they said it happens and they said this isn't rocket science man don't worry about it. it's radio i'm like oh wow okay and wayne said by the way it's not the music business man this is the radio business i started learning hmm, this is different than music Okay, we play music, but there's a lot of dynamics involved that aren't just music. So got on the air the next night for one hour, and an email popped up, and it said, I think he's ready for his own radio show. This guy's a born radio DJ, needs to be on the air now. We'll give him overnights from midnight to 6 a.m. And I'm like, I'll do it. They put me on immediately. And so all of a sudden, I was on the air seven nights a week from midnight to 6 a.m., six months solid. He goes, and you can't use the name bloody on the air because I don't like you. He goes, I don't like your persona. I don't like your music. I don't like what you stand for. I don't like the stuff I read about in the paper. I do not like you. I like." Don McLeod, I don't like bloody at all. You're not using that name on my radio station. I'm like, damn, I got a cult following. Too bad. So i go gay. Okay. He goes, think of a name because people will stalk you in radio. This is before the internet got huge. It wasn't huge, huge. We had live streaming, but this was when people were still calling radio stations. If I said, give me a call, the lines would light up. This was a, I want to say 50,000 watt station. You could pick it up from St. Wow. Louis to Chicago. It was big. WWCT. Anyway, he goes, pick a rock name, make up a cool name that sounds legit somebody could stalk you. You don't want one to know your real name. You don't need to have that out there. There's no reason if you're on the radio. My favorite band at the time was the Bay City Rollers. I'll use the name of the drummer for the Bay City Rollers, Derek. So I love the name Derek. And then Elvis Presley. I love Elvis so much. I, his last album was called Moody Blue. So I put those together, Derek Moody, and that's how I got my name. <laughs> really moody guy. I'm a Pisces. I'm so moody. It was so perfect. And then I got ordained as a minister online and I've done dozens and dozens of weddings and I became Reverend Derek Moody as a joke. So non-denominational, just doing these Grateful Dead weddings. And one time I did a mass wedding at a bowling alley, 13 couples at once. I married legally and they all stood on a different lane. We called it lover's lane. Where was was this? It it was in Bloomington, Normal, Illinois. And we did it live on the radio. Did you say Bloomington, Normal? Yeah. That was the name of the town. I'm not trying to brag or anything, but this, I'm proud of this. At the time when I ended up quitting there, they came to me with like 10000 in cash for me not to quit because I was on there for three years. My ratings, because it's Arbitron ratings, you know, they do the real rating system. Yeah. You could take the opposing radio station's morning show guy and the other opposing station's afternoon guy and add their Arbitron numbers up. I was a night guy, 6 to midnight, and my numbers killed them. Like I huh. was like just destroying it in radio. And finally I got burned out and I quit. it. I just said I'm done. What was your thing, though? Why yeah. were you killing it? I called the show, the church of rock for the first time. They said, when they hired me, this corporate conglomerate got a hold of me. And this lady said, we want a real rock guy. We don't want some nerd guy that's just reading about rock in a book or sounding cool. We want a real rock and roll guy. That's rough around the edges on, on the air. That's really rock and roll. And you're that guy, man. I'm like, I'm in. So I went there and instead of doing the two hour church of rock that I was doing, I called my show from 60 Minutes at the Church of Rock, and I was allowed to do, like, every hour a couple bits like I do on my show now, and I was allowed to have my own guests, and they would hook me up with, like, National Rock, like, Ozzy people like that, big names, giving me passes to go to, like, OzFest and stuff like that, and, you know, big names would come in every other week, and it was really awesome. Just completely off the hook, you know, drugged out, crazy on the air, women, just the whole nine yards. They liked it. They wanted me to be wild, they didn't care. They saw the ratings, and when I quit, the general manager, Patty Donsbach, came to my home and she had a bag with $10,000 in cash. And she goes, I'm begging you to stay with us for one more year. And I will also cut your hours down to four hours a night. And you won't even have to drive to Bloomington. Normally you can do it on the air here in Peoria where you live at another studio we own. No, because when I quit, it was to get closer to my daughter. And I just had lost so many years. I read a book to my kid every day of her life, every single night at bedtime for 10 years solid. And then all of a sudden dad was gone and at three o'clock every day till the next day. And it was really devastating for her, you know, depressing. Were we you married at the time? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was really devastating on my marriage too, contributing to being over. You know, I lived my stupid rock star life, and I got to be the dream DJ, and I loved it. But the point is, when she brought me the ten grand in cash, I said, "No, man, you could give me a million dollars, and I won't do it." And she said, "I have never met anybody with your conviction." She just couldn't believe that right. I was broke. I was making twenty six grand a year, yeah. like I could barely pay rent. And then ten grand at the time would have been just kind of nice. But you know, something to be said about conviction. You know what you believe in, what you love. You know. Your integrity, man. Yeah. And I love my daughter more than How I love her. she life. now? My daughter's 25 now. Where is she? Portland.
1: Oh, so she's yeah. pretty
2: close. She's doing very well in life, too. Yeah, she's doing good. She's one of those uh, TMZ kind of people.
1: What's that mean?
2: Well, she goes and meets celebrities, like sports people, presidents, oh, rock stars. Oh, fell right off the fucking tree. Dude, she's got a warehouse full of, like, autographed items from hell, and she's going to eventually get into that business. But, like, when Johnny Depp was in town with Hollywood of Vampires, no one could get near the guy. Guess who hung out with him alone? My chick, Tracy, and my daughter. Just them and Johnny Depp at his hotel. Alice Cooper, same band. Guess who got to eat breakfast with Alice Cooper? Not me. My chick, Tracy from the Church of Rock, and my daughter. They were eating with Alice Cooper. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. The apples don't fall far from the tree. Right. Well, that's cool. So she's
1: loving her life. She's having a rock and roll good time.
2: Yeah, she's a good kid, man.
1: Is she single? Is she married? She's
2: single. She doesn't get herself wrapped up in relationships. She's always been a very smart kid. She called me when she was 14 one time, tripping on mushrooms. She called me in the middle of the night, and I thought something had happened. I picked up the phone. Two in the morning. She's like, Dad? Dad? I'm like, oh, my God, what happened? She goes, Dad, first of all, I'm fine. And her voice is freaking. I'm like, what's going on, man? She goes, I'm tripping. I go, oh, boy. Okay be cool, Dad. Just deal with us like I was your best friend. you know. I'm like, hey, okay, where you at? She goes, I'm laying on a park bench in the park right now. I just want you to know, Dad, that I'm so glad that I have you, Dad. And if I wouldn't have had you in my life, I would never be the same person I am now. And I just want to take a moment to thank you. And I'm so glad I'm not one of those Barbie girls that just gets knocked up and has a kid. And I'm never going to be that way, man. I'm going to just be independent. And it's all because of you, Dad. Thank you. I have a good head on my show that's because of you. I just wanted to tell you. Bye. Click. And it was so loving and great. That was it, click? You never talked to her about it again? Never said another word about it to me. It was just so profound, you know? Such a trip that she thought to call you, though, while she was tripping balls. The current studies on psilocybin say that it's the only for sure cure for depression in about eight hours. It also says it's the only thing that's as close to a literal fountain of youth. I do mushrooms regularly, and it keeps me completely young, and it keeps me grounded. Love to go out in Mother Nature in Oregon and do mushrooms. It's so awesome. I love going down to the coast to Thunder Cove and just tripping my brains out all day long. I'm not talking about microdosing. I'm talking about eager enough to where I'm seeing God for a while. I'm laying on a path and I hear, and I look up and people are trying to like get over me. And I'm like, oh, excuse me. I'm just a weirdo laying on the path, you know, talking to Krishna here. But that's what I like to do. I call it napping with God. I'll just lay down and just start writing poetry in my head.
1: Can you you imagine though the beautiful gift? If we could give that to each other, if you could just tell somebody, look, I'm going to give you something that is unimaginable. And I just need your attention for a couple minutes and we're going to just dose you a little yeah. bit. The
2: well, world would change so in quickly. Minute. <laughs> in a minute. There's one bit of advice I could ever give anyone, although no one will ever take your advice. No one ever listens. You have to have your own experience. My one bit of advice for any kid, maybe two, is don't touch alcohol or opiates. I guess i should just say drugs period but in particular opiates or nicotine too i guess but those things just are crippling our country's crippled and the sad part of it and i don't want to get political on you but the the sad part is that i'm sure with an intelligent guy like you you're very aware that we is are Is there somebody else in the room we're <laughs> who are we talking to <laughs> we ourselves this country traffics in heroin addiction we bring it here we grow it we guard it we sell it on the streets and then we go we have an opiate epidemic and it's sickening man but if i could tell every kid out there to please listen to me don't try it even once because it's that good. Yeah. It just is, man. I got addicted to opiates a long time ago, and it's just one of those things, man. Well, think about the math problem uh, 20 minutes from here. I feel really sorry for everyone that's addicted to drugs, like really profoundly sorry. Like I could cry. It's that deep. And you can't blame people. People are just so soul sick, man. Yeah. Like the other day, I gave somebody some money, and my friend goes, what if that guy goes and buys some booze with that you gave him? I go, then by God, I just, that the compassion of... You bought Do five you, minutes of happiness. Then Fucking let him get drunk, that's man. That's right. Is that all he has? That's all Who he has. What gives are you going to do? You know, I mean, really? Tell him to wake up, get a job. He's miserable the way he is. If that's going to bring him relief, even right. if it's another temporary illusion, the money's just as well served whether he bought a hamburger right. or a bottle of that's booze. Right. Seriously. Right. Yeah. If I you really it. have compassion, you're not going to get him off the drugs. He so might as well at least help somebody feel good. You know what my sister's doing in LA? You know. She has
1: started a 501c3 called The Power of a Shower, and she's getting bus manufacturers to donate buses with showers, drive around L.A., give homeless people showers and some clean clothes and some some dignity
2: Ashland has so many good karma yogis that do things like that they have that laundry love here where they have the laundromat Henry's laundromat up there in uh, in South Ashland where I live they have laundry love day days where they have free laundromats I didn't know that they were doing that they also have a a, a mobile thing like your sister has that goes around and they give showers to people around here is that right yeah because Tracy and I from the Church of Rock once a week we go down to Pioneer Hall and I'm divulging this information in case some listeners. listeners might not know, but every Friday at Pioneer Hall at five o'clock, there's this wonderful community meal. It's called the Community Peace Meal. And it's open for everyone. And it's designed for our friends and brothers and sisters that are homeless, but it's open to everyone. You might have people that are shut-ins that have no friends or family. They're welcome to come out and meet their neighbors. The volunteers that show up every week do it regularly. We've been doing it for years.
1: I didn't know anything about it. And as a matter of fact, I thought they were shutting down Pioneer Hall.
2: Well, they shut down the rental of it because they need to have like $50,000 in like upgrades or whatever. Yeah. But they still let them use it on Fridays for the meals. And then also just on the same subject, every single day of the week at Lithia Park under the gazebo by the bandshell at 5 p.m., there's somebody dishing out a dinner there free. Tracy does it every Thursday, by the way. Her and Lisa Ostos and Vanessa and Jason Houck, those are like the core members that I work with. We work under their direction. We are influenced by them. They were doing this way before we came to Ashland. So when I came here and heard about this going on, I wanted to volunteer. but be of service. Anandamai Ma, one of the great saints of India that's dead now, one of the great avatars, she said, only God can help. And whatever God means to you, of course, it's a very personal thing, but you can be of service to people. You can't help anyone. Only God can help, but you can be of service. So I always correct myself when I say, oh, I helped. No, that sounds so egotistical and arrogant. I didn't help anybody, but I was of service and I dished that's out right. some mashed potatoes. That's why my tagline is here to serve. Beautiful. I love that. And you know, Neem Karoli Baba, my guru's guru said that when you feed people, it's like God feeding God. And he said that's the holiest thing you can do in this body is to feed another person food. That's what I tell my children. I said that is the most powerful, the most fundamental thing you can do. Yeah. God comes to people in the form of food. And we are all fractals of the divine light. We are all God. We are gods. So when we feed other people it's God feeding God, how beautiful. And at the homeless meals, Half the table is meat, and the other half is always vegan and vegetarian. My one friend said, she goes, only in Ashland do people go in the free meal line soup kitchen going, is this vegan? But come on, they have a right to eat that's, healthy food. No, that's wonderful that you could even think about right. that in your predicament that you're prioritizing your intake. And you know what? It might be true. It might just be Ashland, and God bless Ashland right. for having that mentality. Even the homeless want their food organic. I think that's pretty it's so fantastic. cool. Uh, is there any kombucha with this? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, man. I think it's cool. There's nothing wrong with somebody asking that. No, you know? of
1: course not. I think it's pretty fascinating. And you're right that in this community specifically, where else in the fucking planet is someone going to ask if their homeless meal is <laughs> vegan.
2: Baba Bhagavan Das told me, he said, when you eat food, you're not eating the food, you're eating the vibrations of the food and the people that cooked your food. So he's very, very What about the
1: animals that were fucking screaming as they yeah, yeah. were slaughtered that too. That in too. some inhumane, yeah. disgusting, grotesque ways? Yeah. What is that energy we're putting in our bodies? Does that relate to how we're completely destroying our environment Mm -hmm. because we don't care about anything. We're so self-fucking loathing. Yeah, our bodies are our
2: temples, man, you know.
1: But what you are putting into their bodies, I think, potentially is equally as important. Yeah, good point. Are you making them sick? Are you creating Mm. health and welfare problems for them down the road? Good point, man. So, we're not really thinking about the cause and effect of what it is specifically that we're putting in our bodies. Mm. Even our own children, we take them to yeah. a petting zoo and they pet the little goat, and then we put it on a plate at home, and the kid doesn't know that they're eating the same yeah. fucking goat that they fell in love with about 20 minutes ago.
2: Yeah, you're right. So, we
1: have some mixed messaging problems, yeah. which is why we're making horrible decisions. For ourselves, for each other, and for the rest of every fucking
2: living thing on this planet. Amen, brother.
1: (laughs) So we got to start teaching the kids how to think, not what to think.
2: We have a responsibility to try to open the eyes of others. If we're awakened even a little bit, we should be trying to help nudge others awake.
1: The reason that I even do this show, the reason that I have two children is it is the only hope I have. If one person, whether it's my children or otherwise, makes them contemplate that they literally give themselves the luxury of time to think about what they're doing
2: then you've, you've done your job
1: what's your daughter's name audrey audrey wow that's an old school name yeah we named her after audrey hepburn so you know i work down in uh, paris green right i did not know that i'm the guy in paris green it's so great you come in for first friday we're all having a very good time <laughs> you picked an extremely classy wonderful representation of humanity as your daughter thank you and she sounds like she's a pretty wonderful girl yeah thanks I'm glad you came in, man. I'm going to call you Buddy, right?
2: You you can call me Bloody Buddy, Derek, Shankara, or you can just, uh, hey, bro. (laughs) It's super cool to have you in here. You didn't talk much about your show. My show's on Sunday nights, every Sunday for 18 years, and it's on KSKQ. From 7 until 9 o'clock every single Sunday evening, we usually have a local musician in to play live, and we always have a national guest on the phone. We also have a new YouTube channel, The Church of Rock, all spelled together, and we've maybe got 75 or 80 different interviews we've done on there, and we add stuff daily, and we have hundreds and hundreds more. So yeah, The Church of Rock, it's on 89.5 FM or kskq.org. It's also syndicated over in Bandon, Oregon now too, and KBOG and Bandon picked us up, too. Cool, so you can kick it on the beach and listen. Yeah. And then 94.1 FM in the Medford area. So we're on three FM frequencies in this area now. So that's great.
1: Well, right on. Hopefully, after you listen to your show, if you don't think it totally sucks, maybe you'll have me on your
2: show. No, I'll we'll definitely have you on, man, for sure. I think we talked about that before. So we we'll did. have to schedule a date and have you on, man, and talk about your show. All right, brother. It's good to see you, man. Yeah, thanks, thanks for thanks having so me over. It's yeah. been a lot of fun, man. It's the most fun interview I've ever done, to be wow. honest.
1: And thanks for the music. You brought me a yeah. gift. Uh, I've got two CDs here. I have The Bloody Mess Rock Circus Mountain Rock Album. This is a 30th anniversary with Bloody Mess and Richie Ramone, Rick Agnew, Don Boles, and Paul Rossler. Yes. And then you got another one here. You got Buddy F. Mess Transcend.
2: Yeah, that's my uh, full-length spoken word album.
1: Cool, man. Look forward to hearing both these.
2: Well, thanks. I hope you enjoy them.
1: Thanks, brother. Much love to you. Thank you.
2: good luck being a dad with all that stuff. Uh, Thanks, man. Cheers, man. Om Namah Shivaya.
1: that's the show hope you enjoyed it that ladies and gentlemen was bloody mess he's not such a mess and uh he doesn't appear to be all that bloody but uh he is a nice guy Uh, i like how he thinks and uh, i appreciate what he's gone through and come out on the other side it's pretty cool and i actually i really enjoy his music i think he's very talented he's a nice package as they say so divine dirt is the uh, name of his band and uh, the album that'll be coming out in either September or October will be called The Underworld. Look for it by name. I want to thank everybody for participating last week, my dad's 80th birthday. It was super sweet. He was truly touched and blown away. I had sent him a package of uh, a couple of birthday cards, uh, one from Sam, one from Zoe, I think both handmade. And then I send him that illustration of him that I did, which ended up looking like my brother, my younger brother who's no longer with us, but similar to my dad. So that was really interesting. And then he, he didn't realize that I had sent him uh, a card as well. And I think he, uh, he was a little disappointed. He got cards from everybody but me, but my mother gave him the card that I had sent, and uh, he was very appreciative, to say the least. Citizen 44 with Mark Ahrensberg is a listener-supported presentation. I truly appreciate you listening to the program, and uh, anything you can contribute is fantastic. This is a labor of love, as you can probably tell after now 51 shows. This is just something I'm going to be doing, and I'm going to continue to do it and find interesting people along the way for you to discover And find things out about which may in turn uh, turn you on to information uh, perhaps about yourself that you didn't know here to serve like i told uh, my friend their bloody mess i'm here to serve all right thanks so much for listening catch you next week this show is sponsored by paris green a curated collection of incredible objects from around the world paris is always a good idea 77 oak street ashland oregon Visit them online at Facebook.
3: If whatever you're doing is not working, there's only one way you can change that, and that's to change what you do, 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 change
0: what you do. I am Citizen Forty Four.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, motherfucker. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about too, motherfucker.